Well, today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. We've been going through that series. We kind of took a bit of a break uh, for Easter last week, but we're back into it. But I want to begin with the idea, the background of the passage that we're looking at is that the disciples tasted their first bit of persecution. This is going to become characteristic of the early church, that those who, uh, who follow Jesus Christ, part just part of being a Christian was actually to be persecuted. And we're going to look at that first instance when that happened and how they responded. But what we need to do then by introduction is say that we're all, if you would describe yourself as a Christian, if you would describe yourself as not believing in Jesus, we're all in a spiritual battle, a cosmic spiritual battle. What's the sign of that? How do you know? If you're in this battle, well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says this, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. What's the first sign that, uh, that you're in a spiritual battle is if you don't know it? That's the first sign. I mean, it's an ironic sign, because then how do you know whether it's really true or not? But the first sign that you are in a spiritual battle is that we actually don't recognize that that's going on around us. We just think this is just what life is like, and I don't really notice anything different, and it can probably all be explained scientifically or something. So I don't recognize that I'm in a spiritual battle, but we are. And so if it, if it feels as though you can't tell that you're in a war, that might actually be the first sign. Now, as we become aware of that, we kind of engage in that battle, then we move to what a second sign would be, and it's this, unprovoked opposition. Now, as I thought about this, I don't know how familiar this second sign would be to you. Maybe the first sign goes, yeah, I don't really feel like I'm in a battle. I mean, life's hard now and then, but... I wouldn't really describe it as a spiritual battle. It's just difficult things happen to people. Maybe that's common for us. What might be less common is that as we have stood for the things of Jesus Christ, uh, we would experience opposition. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it describes two kinds of difficulties that we can have in life. Verse 15, it says, if you suffer, which is a human characteristic, if we suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. You don't, don't suffer because you're sinning. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There is a kind of suffering that occurs because we stand for the name of Jesus Christ and we try to love others in that name. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced that. It's not common. There's a, um, there's a kind of a movement that happened. It probably started about 30 years ago. It's kind of waning now. And churches were built on this idea of being, and this was the phrase that people used, it was very, very trendy back in the day. It was called being seeker-sensitive. And the idea was that the way that we would organize a church service is we would make it a very low entry, as non-offensive as could possibly be. And so what pastors would do is they would make sure that if somebody came in who didn't know Jesus, 
that they would come in and there wouldn't be anything to offend them except maybe the, the invitation to believe in Jesus. And uh, there's merit to that. We don't want to, you know, be difficult for the sake of being difficult and, and cause people to stumble just, you know, because we can. We want to be kind and loving and make Jesus accessible. But the truth of the matter is, if there is, if, if in our life and in our church community, there is nothing that pushes against the darkness in the world around us, we should be suspect whether we're really following Jesus. If, if everyone says, wow, you're just a really nice person, and I mean, that's good. I hope they say that about you. But if that's all that's being said, if there's, is there's nothing that people say, you know what? I disagree with that. That maybe that should be a sign. Are we really following Jesus? Because if we're the followers of the people who established the church here in Acts chapter 4, this was common that it was clear to the people around them that you are following a different God and that God demands things of me that I'm not sure I like. That's what it was like to be a Christian at that time. And dare I say, that's what it needs to be like today if we're also following Jesus Christ. So we have in, uh, in the first part of Acts chapter 4, we have the early disciples, the leaders, are going before the religious leaders of the day, and they say, you know, stop, stop speaking in Jesus' name. And those really kind things that you do for people, you know, healing a lame person, we want you to stop that too. We don't want, we don't want you doing any of that stuff, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to ramp up. But this, they were just given a stern warning. So now we pick up the story after they were... Uh, interrogated by the religious leaders, we pick up the story as they come back and talk to the rest of the followers. This is verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, this command to stop talking about Christ, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, saying this, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kingdoms of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. There is a organized demonic attack against the kingdom of heaven. And that attack is described as futile, but nevertheless real. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, meaning both the Jews and the Gentiles. That language just means the whole world. Met together in the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did. Now, this is very interesting. So you have these, uh, these forces coming to condemn Jesus to death. It kind of looks in that moment like, like evil is winning. But then in verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So even when it looks like darkness is winning, it's really not. 
It's just all part of the cosmic plan that God has to establish his love and leadership over the world. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So there were two things they were told not to do. Don't speak about Jesus and don't perform signs, in his one, signs and wonders in his name. And then they say, Father, would you please help us speak about Jesus and perform signs and wonders? We really, really want that to happen more than what was happening before. Might be called civil disobedience. God listens to the prayer. Now listen what happens after this prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. When, when there's a physical shaking, it's a sign that there's a, there's a spiritual presence there that's tangible. You can, you can experience it. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God equipped them to be even clearer about who Jesus is and how people need to respond to him as the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of mankind. These are the same people who were filled in chapter 2. They're being filled again. So what we know about the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time deal. You can be filled as often as you would like to be. And they needed to be because there was opposition. They, uh, and they needed the infilling of the Holy Spirit to remain bold. So let's look at, at three points. One is, what's their response then to opposition? I just, sorry, I need to say again. The church, um, the church is not to be a place that picks a fight. It's just, we, just we, we, we serve in love. But the offensive part of our love is that we serve in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just generically kind people. There's no offense there. When we heal and speak, we're proclaiming a rightful Lord over people's lives. Now, what if God's inviting you and I to be clear in our demonstration and declaration of who Jesus is? I was a, uh, I was a shop teacher for a while. I was in a Christian school, that's cheating. Before then, I was, in, uh, I was in a number of public schools doing my practicums. <clears throat> and, uh, and I remember being told very, very clearly that you are not allowed to share any of your Christian beliefs while being a uh, you know, student teacher in this school. So what do you do with that? Now... What you don't do is go, I don't care. I'm just going to tell everybody. And if I get fired, it was for Jesus. And maybe I could get another job somewhere. Like, you're, uh, like you're not dumb, okay? It's not like I'm, 
But does it mean then that you're muzzled and that you never speak of Christ? Is that what it means? Oh, dear God, let that not be true. Somehow, you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, needs to be clear and bold in our witness. Look, if you and I walk in fear of the world around us, why would anybody want to believe in a God who, uh, whose followers are just afraid of speaking about him? Embarrassed, perhaps. I am gripped by a prayer that says, I want to be more bold than I am now. Would you help me be that, God? I'm not bold enough. Very sobering. So what's their response to this initial opposition? They talk about three, they have prayers for three things. They, they're, prayer, they're praying, acknowledging who God is, who the world is, and who they are. Okay, we're going to go through all three of those. First of all, they acknowledge who God is. God is sovereign Lord. Now, the Greek word for sovereign Lord is a word that is described, is uh, translated despot in English. A despot is a super controlling ruler, often not good. It's the same root word. Aren't you encouraged by that? Absolute control. So they say, sovereign Lord, meaning that you don't have your authority just because you're good. You have your authority because you have all authority. Like, thank God you're good. <laughs> but even if you weren't good, you're sovereign Lord. That's the opening of the prayer. That's the context in which they are, they, are, uh, they are facing opposition, that we are worshiping a God who is sovereign Lord, and everyone on earth is going to give account to you. Everyone is in debt to you for being their creator, and at the end of their life, they're going to give account for the gift that was given them called living. You're going to give account for how you manage that gift of life on Judgment Day. Sovereign Lord. And you are so powerful that even, as I mentioned earlier, even when, you, even when evil thinks it's winning, it's just, it's just playing into your hand. Even when it looks like Jesus is dying on the cross and evil is triumphing, he goes, no, that was the greatest moment of victory in the kingdom that we've had and ever will have. I am so sovereign, I even take evil and turn it for good. That's how strong I am. This is incredible. There is zero intimidation, zero nervousness as to whether God's going to pull this one out and have a happy ending. There's no worry about that in this prayer. One commentator says, history shows that opposition is always used by God to fulfill something good. You can tell that God's up to something when the church is being persecuted. 
Now, again, nobody's being masochistic and say, bring it on. That's, that's, uh, there's no love or humility in that. But truly, if there is no opposition to our message, then maybe we're not preaching Jesus as sovereign Lord. And this is what we need to wrestle with as a people. Too often has the church said, and uh, I, I go to pastor's conferences, and here's what pastors love saying, and I say it too. Um, we go, our city's super hard. That's what we all say. Everybody says that. And we all commiserate. We go, oh, yeah, I got a hard city too. And uh, so they just, they, you just all feel good inside when you, you know, yeah, your city, yeah, mine's really hard. Whew. I can tell you stories, you know. <clears throat> and then I wonder when I read this prayer, maybe the city isn't hard. Maybe the church hasn't spoken about Jesus yet. Like maybe we're blaming, we're saying the darkness is hard, and we're going to read about the darkness in just a moment, but maybe the darkness isn't our problem at all. Maybe we're still wrestling through whether Jesus is sovereign Lord. And that maybe if he was spoken of that way, we might see our cities radically transformed with that message. So God, in this prayer, God is described as sovereign Lord. Everything is under his control. He's way more powerful than we could ever imagine, and we're all going to give account. Then the prayer moves to talking about the world. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? In vain. Why do they rage? Uh, one, one commentator described this rage as a high-spirited horse. You know, you can imagine a horse, you know, snorting and whatever horses do when they're aggressive. And uh, he says, uh, horses may trample and toss their heads. In the end, they will have to accept the discipline of the reins. Here's what's true in this prayer says very clearly, evil is on a leash. Evil's on a leash. Evil does not have free reign in our world. Now, that statement takes faith to believe, does it not? I mean, I look at the world around me and I go, it looks like evil's doing very well these days. It looks very unleashed. In this passage, it says, no, no, no. Entirely on a leash. And God only, who's holding on to the leash, only lets out the leash that maybe the church would get tired of being uh, impotent. And the world would be tired of how sin ravages so that we could come to our senses and recognize the goodness of the kingdom of God. I believe, and I feel very convicted of this personally, that we need to be as honest about the limitations of evil as we are about the sovereignty of God. It's not a hard, it's not a hard sell to at least acknowledge in church that Jesus is sovereign Lord. I think it's a harder sell for Christians to admit how weak and impotent evil really is. And I believe that God is saying to us today, we need to confess as a church the impotence of evil and no longer be impressed with it in our own hearts 
or in the world around us. Can you say amen to that? I look at the evil inside of me and I'm impressed. Aren't you? When you get a little glimpse of the evil inside, you go, wow, that's dark. Darker than I was hoping. And I become impressed with it. If you struggle with an addiction, we're impressed with the addiction. You go, whoa. And if somebody sits there and add it, you go, whoa, that's dark. You're going to need to, whoa, that's intense. And this passage describes the power of evil as vain, useless, whatever. Anyways, let's talk about who Jesus is, is how the prayer goes. What if God is saying to us today to stop being impressed with the evil in us and the evil around us, that it's not nearly as terrifying as, as we like to think it is because it gives us an excuse to be quiet. Uh, we used to, uh, we still do in our church, we do something called uh, prayer ministry. And what this is, is we sit down with somebody who wants to have freedom from evil, freedom from darkness. And we do it in a very kind and compassionate way, but we pray for people to be set free from evil spirits. Uh, we still do this. Well, when we started doing this, the way that we would uh, do a deliverance ministry or prayer ministry time is we would interview demons. Super dumb idea. <laughs> you're interviewing liars and you're looking for truth. I don't know why we did that to begin with, but it's what we were taught, so we started there. And I remember uh, one time I'm interviewing a demon and I, and I ask, you, you ask, you know, what's the name? So I say to the demon, what's, the, you know, what's your name? And the demon says, Beelzebub. And inside I go, oh, sick. <laughs> that sounds large and intimidating. And, you know, this is what I'm thinking inside. And I'm, you know, praying in tongues and asking God for strength. And I go, hold on here. And so I ask the demon, I go, how big are you? <laughs> I'm really small. <laughs> and it's a little demon. The big name, you know. And I learned something in that moment, that demons are full of hot air. And they go around in, in, in boastful declarations. And it's just mostly air. And I'm embarrassed at how easily I'm intimidated by hot air. So the world has futile attacks against the kingdom of God. It actually thrives in those attacks. It doesn't decrease. And then finally, what does this say about us? This is fascinating to me. I find, I found, uh, I, you know, I'm rereading this passage over and over and over again, and I'm just so struck by what these early Christians are concerned about. Now, Lord, consider their threats. So that's a little bit about them. But enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand uh, through the name of your holy servant. What's the primary concern that these early Christians are praying for? For the name of God to be declared. Not their name. God's name. 
And they pray that they could be faithful in declaring and demonstrating who God is. It's fascinating that there's only a passing reference to their issue. Consider the threats. It's just, it's just a few words. Most of the prayer is all about defend your name. I was talking to a friend of mine um, a few weeks ago. I was in a, was in a meeting in, um, in Phoenix. He's a really good friend. And he, was, um, he works in the head office of Every Nation International in, um, in Nashville. And he had hurt himself where he was bedridden for a number of months. And so I asked him, what did you do? He says, what I did is I just listened to sermons that are preached in, uh, you know, in North America. I was just listening. I just wanted to know what are churches talking about in North America? And I, so I leaned forward, you know, like, what, what are they talking about? And he said a number of things, but the one that stands out that's relevant today is he says most sermons preached in North American churches are about uh, uh, helping people with their felt needs. So the, so the standard sermon is today, are you lonely, confused, discouraged, defeated? Come to Jesus, and he can help you with that. Now, that's a great sermon. I should preach more of those. Uh, but but that, that's a, it's a good sermon, so don't, but it's interesting that the primary diet in the church today is Jesus helping us with our needs instead of us declaring who he is. This is a grand reversal of what we see in this passage. And the only reason why they ask for anything, consider their threats. You know, I, I don't want to be threatened. The only reason why they're even bringing that part up about what's hard for them is so that they can pray for more of God's name to be honored and proclaimed in the world around them. I think this is absolutely incredible. Like, what if, okay, this is just, okay, we all have issues, right? We all have problems. We all have felt needs. Okay? Yes. What if the way that our felt needs were addressed and dealt with was if we honored Christ's name with our heart, mind, and soul, our body, our spirit? What if our needs might better take care of themselves if we were concerned with the matters of God's kingdom? What if that is the primary problem? What if Matthew 6.33 is correct? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these felt needs will be answered as well. Now that takes faith. If I have a felt need, it's real, and I want it dealt with. And my prayers go like this. Jesus, I really want to help you with your whole kingdom thing, but I have a felt need right now, and so I need you to answer my felt need, as soon as I'm healed up, I'm on your kingdom agenda right away. Stage two, for sure. Promise won't make it stage three. But stage one is my felt needs. And I think this passage tells us, what if stage one is your kingdom come? 
and I'm about your business. I'm about what you concern yourself with. And as I seek your kingdom, my felt needs are not that big of a deal. They're as much hot air as what the demons are posturing themselves as being. What if there's a bigger thing going on, my friends? And as we gave ourselves to that mission, our personal problems would find their rightful place in our heart. Not that they would go away, not that God doesn't care about them. He deeply does. But the way that he cares about them, the way that he wants to set us free, might be a very different way than what we imagine. So this prayer frames who God is, sovereign Lord, frames who the world is, futile attacks, and then frames who we are, that we defend the name of Christ as our primary concern. This is the prayer. What's God's response to this prayer? Well, it's beautiful. It's power. God defends his name. They pray, we want to defend your name. We want to speak about the, your holy servant, Jesus. And he, defend, he, he defends his name by giving them the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do what they long to do. Now, notice what this power does. The first demonstration of power is God defeating the, the fear in our souls. That's the first thing that we need power for. Are we not afraid? Are you not afraid of losing your job? Are you not afraid of being disliked by your friends, family? Are you not afraid of that? And so God comes and says, I am going to declare my sovereignty in the way that the, the first way that I need to do that is I need to deliver my people from their fears. And I need to give them a gift of boldness. And in that boldness, my kingdom will advance. But I've restricted the advancement of my kingdom. It's conditional on the boldness of my people. But I'm not going to be mean about it. I'm going to give them a gift. And this gift is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to declare who Jesus is in word and deed. I believe that tonight, Jesus wants to set you and I free from our fears. And I believe that he wants our felt needs to have their rightful place in our life. Not ignored, not minimized, but in their rightful place, under the lordship of Christ. Evil is overcome with what we call in our church courageous conversations and demonstrations of spiritual power. The most fun thing that has been going on for me uh, in the last number of months has been what's been happening in our church on Sunday evenings. And I believe we're just beginning to see a small taste of what God wants to do in and through us. And when you and please, can I encourage you in this? When you walk through those doors, believe God for miracles. Ask God for demonstrations of power. It doesn't happen to happen to you or me, but oh, let it happen. Oh, let the sovereignty of God be made manifest in our church. Every day, every Sunday that I come and sit here, 
I have to, I, I come in usually quite happy because I'm really happy to see you. I come in quite happy. And then somewhere, almost invariably, I get hit with discouragement. And I go, I, I hear in my head, um, uh, Greg, you know you have nothing worthwhile to say. You know that, don't you? You know that people are mostly bored when you talk. And, uh, and worship, they just like singing. They don't really like worshiping. That's what I hear in my head. Isn't that horrible? And I have to press through every week to serve you. And I think we all need to press through because I think something collective happens when we agree that Jesus is Lord, that evil is small, and that we're here to declare his name. I think if we agree on that, this creates space for the Spirit of God to do miracles in our midst. So what's the result of our response to opposition and God's response to our prayer? His power is proclamation. So the question that I want to ask today so they, they proclaim the word of God boldly. That's what it says. After they prayed, place is shaken, filled with the spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So let, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm pressing you. How do you respond to evil? How do you respond to evil? Does it intimidate you? It intimidates me. I've, I've seen demons rise up in people. It's intimidating. I've seen it many times. And you want to become small and apologetic. You say, we really are good people. Really, we are. How do you respond to evil? Do you say no? Or do you try to negotiate with evil? Do we, uh, do we try to change other people? Do we try to make them better? Do we try to fix ourselves? Improve ourselves? I think that what this passage is telling us is our primary response to evil is to insist that the name of Jesus be worshiped and glorified. What if that was the way that you tackled your addiction? What if that's the way that you tackled your discouragement? Whatever attack would come your way. What if you can make me discouraged? You can't stop me from declaring Jesus as Lord. You, can, you do not have the power to do that unless I give it to you. What if our freedom comes through worship? and the declaration of who Jesus Christ is? What if that's the key that unlocks the freedom and the joy and the peace that we all long for? What a fascinating way to get there. I am thinking that Romans 12, 12 is going to be a theme for us in this season, and it's this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
There's only one way to overcome evil. It's by doing good and by declaring the truth. It's the only way. So in conclusion, is God your master? I went through, if you look, uh, the word servant is mentioned four times in this short prayer. It's the, it's the one phrase that is mentioned. It refers to Jesus twice. The word servant actually means a boy slave or a son slave. Isn't that interesting? Mentioned twice. Mentioned once about David. that He's also described as a boy slave. That's what the word literally means. And then we're described as servants. Enable your servants. The word there is doulos, which literally is slave. It's not... It's not uh, enable your servants, it's enable your slaves. Why is that language, why would, why would the Bible use such offensive language? Because every time you have a slave, you have a master. And we need Jesus to be master. We don't just need him to be friend. We don't just need him to be a good guy. We need him to be sovereign Lord. And when I describe myself as a servant, I am describing you as sovereign over me and over the world around me. Is God your master? Is evil winning or losing? Right now, in Vancouver, evil is losing. Evil always loses. Those of you who are gamblers, what is it about the house? The house always wins or whatever. Jesus always wins. He just always wins. It's a fight to believe that to be true. And finally, is evil overcoming you or are you overcoming evil with good? I would like to pray for us. And if the worship team could please come up. And at the end of the service, uh, we would like to be able to pray again. Pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit for you. That you could be empowered with boldness to speak, to declare and demonstrate the sovereignty of God. Would you please stand with me? <clears throat> Father, I, I feel so embarrassed about how small I think you are and how great I think evil is. It's wrong. And I repent before my friends. You're great and evil is small. And that's always been true, and it always will be true, even in my own life. And so I ask, on behalf of us, would you again deliver us from evil? Would you deliver us from being impressed with evil? We don't want to be impressed with evil anymore. We want to be impressed with you and you alone, and we want to devote our lives to honoring the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you please come upon us, deliver us from the fear of evil, embolden us to stand for the name of Christ, set us free from darkness, that even our felt needs would be delivered as we surrender to your holy power minister to us even now as we worship you and declare who you are. Thank you, Jesus.